You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt. And I'd like to begin the show here today by calling out to the helping spirits to be with us. So I call out first to my ancestors and to your ancestors. I call out to those people who lived well and died well, those people who met the challenges of their time and brought forward their own gifts. I call out to these people who bring the legacy of all that is good and true and beautiful to us, that we might use it and learn from it, that we might... Uh, become uh, better able to be the people that we are today because of those who have gone before us. And we ask these ancestors to gather around and come close to us, to whisper in our ears, to let us know, no, don't go that way. I did that and it didn't turn out so well. So truly and literally, we ask these ancestors to come and be in relationship with us so that this spirit help is available to help the living do what must be done in our time, to meet these particular challenges in a good way with heart and mind and a true passion with a love for all life. And we call out to these ancestors to help us that we might do what must be done for those who are coming. And so as these ancestors gathered around, we reached through the humans out to the older and more ancient ancestors, those who are not in human form, but stand with us nonetheless here on this beautiful planet. And we call out to those non-human ancestors in the plants and animal kingdom all the way to the elemental energies, and we ask them to be with us here today to help us as humans do what we are called to do in this time of great, great potential and change. And so as the ancestors gathered around, Let us collect ourselves and gather ourselves from wherever it is that we might be, bring our focus into our head, and from our head to our heart, and then from our heart down to our belly, and from our belly all the way down to the earth. And take a moment just to give thanks for this day. Take a pause, a place of stillness and silence to just say thank you for my life. Thank you for the wonders of life itself. And for all of the many, many gifts that we are given by life, give great gratitude that all, for all that has been on the journey that has brought us to this moment. All of the gifts that we have found and all of those things we've not quite yet discovered how to consider gifts. And we ask for help in understanding how to open them. And we give thanks to the earth for the beauty of this moment, the diversity in this moment. And we give thanks to the earth for all that is to come. And we ask the earth to help us to be abundant in our participation in the future. And with that energy of the earth, let us take a moment and simply give thanks to the miracle of life and reconnect to the very simple fact that there is a great mystery here and we are not in charge of it. And yet we are one with it. And we give thanks to the earth for the wonder in this dreaming and for the generosity in this dreaming that we are able to change as long as we are still breathing. So with this breath in our lungs and life pulsing through our veins, we connect with the earth and begin to move down through the earth, offering our gratitude as we go to all the layers of the earth until we reach the very center of the earth. And there in the center of the earth, let us take a moment and just tune in to an energy that is utterly non-human and yet brings us enormous rest and restoration. This place of stillness and silence, of darkness, quiet. We tune into this energy that is everything before it is something. This all of these energies and their potential before they're stirred into some sort of expression or manifestation. And we allow this energy to begin to nourish and refresh us as we draw this earth energy up, just as we would draw water to our lips on a hot, hot day. We draw this earth energy up, this silvery energy up through all the layers of the earth into our body. 
And we ask the energy of the earth to help us understand how to ground our energy here to the earth, to be present in our body and to live in this way. And as we understand that we are here in this body at this time, let us understand where we stand and what we stand for to create a sense of place in our life. And from this sense of place, let us build a sense of home, a sense of hearth and a sense of belonging. And let us do this in a way that is not based on nationality but is based on the opening of our hearts to humanity and to life. And we invite in particular those people that are other than we are, that think differently, that look different than we do. And we invite them in so that we can hear their story. And perhaps on a really, really good day, if the meal is really, really good, they'll ask to hear our story as well. And so we understand a sense of home that requires that we learn how to connect and to interconnect and to feel the true interdependence of things here on this planet. And let us ask the energy of the earth to help us move deeply in that knowing until we expand out into the oneness of all things and feel humbly, feel our place there in that great web of life. And we give gratitude to the energy of the earth for helping us to understand our innate value in this great web. And may we come into right relationship with ourselves based on that knowing, right relationship with others, right relationship with the environment, and right relationship with the invisible world. And so with the energy of the earth helping us understand how to be manifest in form in a good way, let us continue up, drawing the energy of the earth up from our bellies to our hearts, our hearts to our mind, and out the top of our head and out into the sky above and whatever weather it holds, drawing our energy up and out through the atmosphere and out in the cosmos. And as we rise up through all the heavenly bodies and the great mysteries of the universe, the velvety blackness, the bright stars, and all that we cannot yet even see or understand, we send our energy all the way to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you know this energy in whatever way you understand it, take a moment to connect with it and it to connect with you to know yourself as part of this oneness as well and begin to draw this golden energy down from above, drawing it down through the cosmos and the atmosphere and the sky into yourself, into your body, into these proceedings. And in this way, we call down the energy of blessings, the energy of protection and generosity and devotion. We call down the energy that inspires. We call down the benevolence of this universe. And we call down the beneficence, this great, great wonder, and may it illuminate and inspire us. So we call this energy in to our head, draw it down to our heart, down to our belly, and send it all the way down to the center of this earth. And in this way, we allow ourselves to be this place, this meeting place of these two great legendary lovers, earth and sky, And the big love between them that has brought life as we experience it here to this planet. And may that big love awaken the spirit of our own hearts here in the center of it all. May our hearts awaken and open that great crucible of transformation that lives only in the heart. And may the heart draw up the powerful passions in the belly and draw down the crystal clarity of the mind and let these energies dance in the heart in a way where the tension between the two of them, dynamic and life-giving, may it give life to a third most essential thing, that which has never existed before and will never exist again, which is your gifts, your purpose, your reason that you are here. And may you find in that heart the courage to do something in this day, large or small, to bring those gifts into manifestation in the world. And so we give great gratitude not only to the heart that holds this memory and to the courage that we find there if we seek it, but we give thanks to all the helping spirits gathered round, above and below, and know that we are held well. May what needs to be said be said. What needs to be heard, be heard, and may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. I want to give thanks to all of you listeners who are able to donate financially to the show. Without your financial assistance, the show would stop because I need your help to pay the bills to keep the show alive and on the air and free. 
The archives are available on iTunes and whyshamanismnow.com and the co-creatornetwork.com. They're available all over for anyone in the world who can get onto the internet, internet. And you help me make that possible. And I am deeply grateful for those of you who are able to do that. And I'm also grateful for those of you who are not able to donate financially at the moment. in your life to help the show to grow, to help the teachings to grow, to help the ideas come that inspire new shows, but mostly to help to bring this way of understanding how we are in the world into manifestation. So for all of the many things that all of you are doing to help this show to grow, allowing that movement into heart to move you into action, which is the most fundamental of shamanic things, I give great thanks. I have true gratitude. Any amount that you do choose to donate to the show goes directly to keeping the show on the air. We've been on the air now for in our sixth year, and the show has been 100% listener-supported for the last two. And I feel I'm very grateful for that because it shows me that these teachings work in the world. And I'm just, my heart is moved always by that fact. So thank you all. So we're not live today, but you are welcome to email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org if you have questions about today's show. So today we're continuing in this series um, about how we could bring shamanic ideas and a shamanic way of viewing things in particularly into how we address what we've been calling mental illness in this culture. And This has been surprisingly challenging, which I talked about last week. But nonetheless, um, I do still want to endeavor to explore how shamans from traditional shamanic cultures not only see it differently, but how by seeing it differently, we are given different options in how to address the situation. Um, And so last week, we began with um, Maladoma Patrice Somme, and uh, we were responding to an article that's out there on the internet, um, but mainly what we take from that is two things. One is the clear message that there are other ways to look at what is actually happening when someone receives a diagnosis, be it mental illness or some other kind of illness, and that we, contemporary people, can effectively use ritual, although adjusted, not exactly the same as those from Maladoma's traditional Uh, heritage, but that we can use ritual as contemporary people effectively to relieve the suffering at the core of the experience that's called mental illness and open a way for that individual to experience the healing relationship with their own helping spirits that supports a kind of cure or perhaps some sort of definitive movement out of this state that was called mental illness into a state of being able to be effective in the world, to bring their gifts to the world. Maladoma talks about expressing your unique genius. And this is, this is one of the most inspiring things I find about his work is that constant coming back to that reason that we are here is to express our unique genius. And so if we can understand many of these experiences we're calling mental illness as as part of the process of this individual forging a relationship with spirit that will allow them to express their unique genius, then we address the whole situation differently. And this is the beauty of um, one of the many beautiful things about Maladoma's work. And Maladoma, which I know from working with him, has always believed that um, we, contemporary people, must learn what his people do or other traditional shamanic people, um, what they do and why they do it and how they ask spirit the questions that help them to understand this so that we can ask spirit what is going on here and what we need to do to fix it. And this is, this is one of his great strengths, I believe, as a teacher. Um, the important thing about this is that the thing about going to spirit for help is that we need to ask a question. And the question that we ask is actually very much coming out of how we perceive the problem in the first place. And so what's interesting or what I want to explore 
is how when we really change our perspective about what the symptoms are telling us, you know, what we're going to call this event that we're asking spirit for help about, it changes the questions we're asking. And if we change the questions we're asking, it will change the answers that we're given. So in other words, if you're a shamanic practitioner already and you see clients and someone comes to you with a diagnosis of schizophrenia and you journey about schizophrenia, you're going to get a certain set of answers. If you ignore that label, that diagnosis of schizophrenia, and explore what is going on and how do we address that without really worrying about schizophrenia or no schizophrenia, you're going to get a different answer. That's the point that I tried to make last week. And so this week, we're, we're, we're going to move on. And part of it is because at the end of last week, this article of Maladoma's that we were looking at talked, Maladoma was talking about four particular types of rituals or things that need to be addressed through ritual that his people do regularly as a matter of course in their life and that we as contemporary people not only need to do but can do effectively. I mean, there's always this argument that we can't do ritual and ceremony effectively because we're not traditional people, but that's not been my experience. My experience in the cycle teachings is that we can do very effective ritual. We simply need to be willing to go to spirit and ask what that needs to look like because it is a little bit different because we are not in the same context as traditional people. And so my point is once we start engaging in these rituals, they help us with more than just mental illness, that we begin to address illness in its larger manifestation, spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical illness. Once we engage in ritual, we don't get to compartmentalize. Nonetheless, the types of rituals we're talking about is, one, the kind of ritual um, or educational work that needs to happen to help a person back out of a problematic relationship with spirit so that they can reorganize themselves and make and reforge a functional relationship with their helping spirits. So that was number one. The other one is initiation of young people into adulthood, which I've talked about regularly on this show. The next is fire rituals as a means to release old patterns and get the help from spirit to do that. And then the final thing is rituals to help us um, rebalance our relationship with um, our ancestors, because when um, the living and the dead are not in balance, chaos inevitably ensues. And so it's important, and, and this is what we're living in today. I mean, a big uh, factor in what is out of balance in our world is being um, amplified by unresolved ancestral issues. That's what I see through my practice. So I'm stating that as fact, but it is, it is a fact in my life because that's how I see things. And what I've seen is immediate change in family systems when we actually effectively address the ancestral issues. So moving right along. So today I would like to explore the idea that there is not only a certain universality in the rituals that humans need to engage in to maintain a healthy mental, emotional, and spiritual, physical life here, um, but, but there's, a certain, there's a certain universality in what is at the root of illness itself for humans, regardless of how it's manifesting. And I share this with the understanding that there is always an array of variables in our lives. Um, and those variables could be from our genes to ex totally external environmental factors, right? They could be anything from bad microbes to bad ideas. I mean, there, there are many, many variables whenever we're talking about illness. I mean, even in a conversation about mental illness, we have to look at food. We have to look at sleep. Nobody behaves well when they're not getting any sleep. Nobody behaves well and has a sane approach to life if all they're doing is eating sugar and drinking coffee. And we're not even getting into the heavier pharmaceuticals that could be involved. And so we, we can't isolate different pockets of this conversation. And I, and I understand that going forward. Nonetheless, what I really want to talk about is how we look at the problem itself 
just like Maladoma saying, if we look at what we diagnose as mental illness without that filter, we see very different things going on. And when we see different things going on, we actually can be much more effective in how we approach it or be a different kind of effective in how we approach it. And I think the same thing is true with illness. And perhaps if we're going to explore shamanism and mental illness, we might need to take a step back further and look at re-envisioning illness itself. Um, And so regardless of all of these many variables in people's lives around illness, there's always still the question, you know, why this person and not somebody else? You know, why does this person who smokes a pack a day and, you know, knocks back half a bottle of whiskey every night and they have since they were 16, why are they still alive at 102? You know, where someone else is dying of breast cancer at 34. Why? What, what is going on with this? I mean, isn't there, and there isn't one answer. That's not my point today. My point is we are as knuckleheaded looking at illness as we are knuckleheaded at looking at mental illness. I mean, we just need to take a step back take a nice deep breath and look again. And, and honestly, at this moment, I realize I'm not really standing in my shaman shoes. I'm actually standing in my scientist's shoes because before shamanism, I was a scientist. And what you do when you get into a bind in good science, when none of it's working, what you think should be working isn't. You know, the science isn't working out as you think it should. As you take a step back, You look at all of the information again, and one of the things naive Americans do not understand is the degree to which our quote-unquote free access to information is mediated through money and academic power and all of these different systems of power. And so even our science isn't necessarily good science unless we look at all of it. So... What I'd like to talk about today then is a book by um, Dr. Mate, and it's his a, hun- uh, a book from 2003, which is When the Body Says No. And I realized that his book from 2008, In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, Close Encounters with Addiction, is much more sensational and linked directly to shamanism um, because it coincides with Mate's work around using ayahuasca to help people with addiction. And um, so I realized that seems to be the natural go-to place. However, I think what's more important, if we're going to take a step back and really look at what's going on with illness and mental illness, we need to go back to his first book, or it might not be his first book, but his earlier book, When the Body Says No. And what I'm interested in is sharing how, like Maladoma, um, Amate is asking that we look at the whole situation of where illness comes from differently. So, so that's, that's why I've kind of gone to this book. And like I said last week, it's actually really hard to find good people to come and talk about shamanism and mental illness and shamanism and, and illness. That um, those who want to talk, we don't really want to listen to. And those we'd like to listen to don't feel comfortable talking yet. So I'm a little bit ahead of the curve, I think, in trying to explore this. But anyway, I want to uh, share part of my experience that is um, opening me up in a way to Monte's work. So when I was a young woman, fresh out of college, I began to experience mysterious illnesses, which I was physically far too healthy to be having. And they were chronic. They would um, somewhat come and go. There was a lot of pain involved. And um, like I said, I was living too healthy a lifestyle overtly in terms of the food I was eating, at least in my understanding of food at the time. And, and I was young. You know, I was 20-something. There was no reason for me to be in this kind of pain. And out of that process, largely because of a one um, – massage therapist I was seeing, I was forced, frankly, to learn a form of meditation, which ultimately meant I ended up learning the clearing practice that I teach now. Um, But what I found at that time, looking at it through the eyes of a 20-something, what I found is that the way that I carried my past was the source of the gross majority of my stress. Now, it's not a leap 
to talk about the ways in which stress is really underlying a lot of chronic illness. And I don't just mean chronic annoying illness. I mean chronic potentially terminal illness, right? And so what became clear to me in learning this clearing technique is seeing how much of the way I experienced my life was pre-programmed out of my childhood and that I had the capacity right now to change that and to reduce that level of stress in my life and to simplify so in other words, my psycho-emotional template, shaped by the way I had experienced my childhood, was driving how I perceived my current life and responded to it. So the clearing process then allowed me to clear much of that psycho-emotional template. And as that worked, I felt freedom, a deep internal freedom. And that freedom um, is synonymous with freeing the body to move towards health and the body finally saying oh thank goodness she let go of that bad idea and now I can move towards health instead of having to manifest the actual result physically of that bad idea okay so as I did more and more clearing and really committed to that practice I felt greater and greater freedom radiating out from my core and I was sure that that was all anyone needed. I was sure this was all I would need for the rest of my life is just to clear these old stories, return to this original story of who I am. I didn't have the words for it yet, but you know, connect with my unique genius and just go forward. And I was sure that that was it. That it was all about gaining freedom from the past. And it's not like there isn't a whole lot of mystical religious support for that idea. And that I began to engage, you know, I would begin then to engage like adults together here in the present moment. And if we all knew how to do this, all would be well in the universe. So I committed to this daily practice and this pursuit of this feeling of this true freedom. My body got healthier and healthier and healthier. And fast forward to starting to train in shamanism. That's a whole nother story. Anyway, so there I am. And I am very sure as I'm learning to perform soul retrievals, which is what really called me into shamanism, which was performing soul retrieval work, is that there would be little to nothing to be retrieved for me because I felt in my clearing practice I had already done that. I had felt the release of the old pattern and the freedom to be different and to be truly myself. And I really didn't believe there were going to be soul parts out there. I thought the clearing process was effectively doing that. And I was wrong. I was completely wrong. And this really opened my eyes to this much bigger level at which illness was operating on and this, and this much bigger level at which we generate this chronic stress in our body that opens the way to illness. What was different is that I had very little need of integration because the integration piece had already been done in the clearing. And so it's part of the reason I understand the linkage between soul retrieval and integration is because I did it backwards, which is pretty much how I've done everything. But what was interesting is while there was little integration to be done, there were soul parts to be found. And so what was up with that? You know, was I wrong about the clearing and the freedom that it gave me? Was, was all of that intuitive experience wrong just because there were soul parts out there? No. My picture of how, how um, complex the situation was, was simply limited. My imagination of what was really going on was limited. And this really helped me begin to understand how these different levels of how we get wounded work together. And how these different fundamental acts in childhood generate this stress that eventually results in illness. And there, there are a number of listeners, actually, who do send me this kind of question about this. You know, I've done this healing work. I feel this freedom. Why do I need soul retrieval? What's the difference? You know, this whole um, – someone else asked me recently. People tell me doing this particular healing form without experience is dangerous. But I'm really good at this healing form. Why can't I just do this? I mean, it's because – our healing is needed on different levels and at certain levels of healing like soul retrieval and soul loss and soul retrieval, doing that without training is dangerous, right? But that doesn't mean the clearing work is dangerous. So, and they're all real, I guess is my point. So, so what this means though is because this has been a profound aspect of my own personal life experience, 
when I read something like Mate's work, I'm just thinking, well, thank goodness an MD finally gathered all of this research and put it all together in a book everybody can read so the world can actually trust and believe what they're never going to believe from me because I'm just a crazy shaman in Portland with a little radio show. You know, and I'm a woman. Like, no one's going to listen to me. Well, you guys are. But anyway, you see my point. If we want a big systemic change, it needs to come from voices in the system as well. It can't just be, you know, free radicals out here like me. So what Mate says is um, about illness is, you know, what if we have a different perspective about illness? And he's an MD, so he's speaking directly to our allopathic contemporary medicine perspective about illness. And as an MD, for those of you that don't know about Mate and his, and his work, he's treating people with MS and cancer and chronic, all those chronic immune disorder diseases and um, ALS and all of uh, things, things that are terminal or deeply cripple your lifestyle. You know, so this is not a feel-good doctor. This is a doctor who's in there with people that are dying, that have profound addictions, that are suffering in a big way. So he's in there in the system doing the work. Okay, so he says, so what if we had a different perspective? What if we actually got that human beings are biopsychosocial creatures by nature and actually biopsycho-spiritual creatures by nature, which is to say that our biology is inseparable from our, our psychological, emotional, and spiritual existence. And therefore, what manifests in the body is not some isolated and unique event or misfortune, but a manifestation of what my life has been in interaction with my psychological, social, and spiritual environment. Right? So in other words, the illness, the symptoms, whatever is presenting is a manifestation of what the life has been in the full interaction of the psychology, the social, the spiritual, the physical environment, all of these things interacting together. And so he says, uh, continuing, if we had that kind of understanding then we would approach illness and health from a completely different fashion. Now, this is exactly what Somay said about mental illness. If we have a different perspective, we would approach the problem differently. So, back to Mate. He continues. So, what if, furthermore, we understood something in the West which has been the underlying core of insight of Eastern spiritual pathways and Aboriginal shamanic pathways around the world, which is that human beings are not their personalities – we're not our thoughts, we're not our emotions, we're not our dysfunctional or functional dynamics in our families, but that at the core there is a true self that is somehow connected to, in fact not connected to, but part of nature and creation. It's a profoundly shamanic statement that we aren't all of these things we think we are. But we are a true self that is one with, that is part of nature and creation. And that if we understood illness, this is me again, not Mate, it's a divergence from that true state of being, my true nature in its place in the bigger picture of nature and and all of creation. So Mate says, an illness from that perspective represents a loss of that connection a loss of that unity, a loss of that belonging to a much larger entity. So continuing, he says, and therefore to treat the illness or the symptom as the problem is actually to ignore the real possibility that the symptom and the illness themselves are symptoms rather than the fundamental problems. So it's back to this thing I was saying about being a shamanic practitioner. Um, that we're really looking at not the symptoms or the diagnosis, but what is the cause of that loss of connection or unity? What is the cause of the person's disconnect from either their true nature or the disconnect from their true, of their true nature from the, from the bigger unity, the bigger, the bigger oneness? And so this belief um, 
that even the symptoms and the illness themselves are symptoms of a more fundamental problem is at the core of shamanic healing. So, and if you're new to the show and this is a brand new idea, there's a show about your soul's purpose being the cornerstone of well-being. And it's a, it's a shamanic perspective on this, this, this point that Mate is making. And as he said, that is at the core of Eastern spiritual pathways and Aboriginal shamanic pathways. So this is an old, old idea, which our ancestors understood better than we do. So Dr. Mate is a strong advocate of the perspective that the root of disease is the chronic stress created in the body by the suppression or denial of emotions and the resulting abnormal release of emotions. Thus, an aspect of our path to health and well-being is to learn to express our emotional life in timely, honest, and healthy ways. So, this is not a new idea if you listen to the show regularly. That coming to a healthy place emotionally and learning to be healthy in our emotions is one of the main reasons I started teaching classes after beginning to do shamanic healing work. Because people could receive their soul parts back and have foreign energies extracted, but they still didn't know how to be different in their life. That they were deeply ingrained in mental, psychological, and emotional pathways, in patterns, in a sense, and they didn't just automatically change. And so this is an important piece then of um, shamanic healing as it dovetails with illness, is helping people understand how to be different in the world. And for me, this is the actually the root of trying to teach how we live shamanically in the world because it lines us up with this very belief system that would help us to be healthy people instead of lining us up with a fundamental belief system that has no other option but to drive us into this place of disconnection and lack of well-being. Okay, so, so Mate in, in, this, in his book states that one of the most important things people need to learn is to say no appropriately. You know, when is it appropriate to say no? To say no and to do so without feeling guilty. And he sees the inability to say no at the root of serious and fatal illnesses. I mean, this is a pretty big deal. I mean, what if someone... Now, I'm not saying I'm doing this or Mate's doing this, but one of, one of, what if someone could say, you, say to you with absolute truth and clarity that the root of this terminal disease that is killing you is simply your inability to have healthy boundaries and say no at the right time? It, it's actually really unbelievably simple if we can start to see things this way. Now, it's not as simple as that one thing. But these patterns are, are found underneath these different templates of illness. A bit under the template of the illness is a template of psycho-emotional misunderstanding. Now, I've always called it dying of chronic niceness, but it's basically the same thing. The inability to negotiate healthy boundaries in your life, the refusal to say no when you need to say no, and learning to say it in a good way. So Mate sees the hidden stress generated in our bodies daily by the fact that we are adults who are reacting to life through our emotional patterning from childhood as a major contributing factor to the illness that he sees every day in his life. So shamanically, I see this uh, in the development of my practice. So first there's clearing the emotional patterning from childhood is what Mate is talking about. And that's the actual energy clearing class. Anybody can learn. You don't even have to learn any shamanism to do that. And while this is the first stage, so to speak, it is also in and of itself has a huge effect on our life and health. Truly, I mean this. If you were to only learn, read one more book, read Mate's. And if you're only to learn one more skill, learn this clearing skill. Truly, if that was all you were ever going to do for the rest of your life, I would actually suggest that and not journeying. Moving right along. So the next stage of what I see Mate talking about, if we interface it with shamanism, is the next stage is the way that we create shadow selves. And for me, the shamanic approach to that is what I teach in year two in the cycle teachings or receiving a shamanic healing. Because without the skills, you need help 
doing that. So then the next stage of clearing these emotional patterns would be looking at the dissociated selves that we've created or or patterns of dissociation in contemporary time. And so for that, you need either an exceptionally good therapist or perhaps an exceptionally good somatic experiencing therapist or soul retrieval work. And all of these would then be followed by repatterning your choices around your energy body. So the next stages of that that create these emotional patterns that then create the stress in our life that results in illness, the next stage would be soul loss. And the idea that soul loss is at the root of physical illness is an old, old shamanic idea. And so the, res- the resolution for that would be shamanic healing and then – or, you know, shamanic – soul retrieval and then integration of the soul part. And then there's always this possible factor that amplifies any stress you're already putting on yourself through your is unresolved ancestral patterns, amplifying the patterns you're already struggling with. And so to resolve that, you would look at family constellation therapy or shamanic healing with ancestral clearing. You know, so there are ways to deal with what Mate is talking about. And, you know, we're we, meaning those of us out here in shaman land, are not alone in this. That actually, even in medicine, there is a new field of medicine called psychoneuroimmunology, which is the science of the interactions of the mind and the body and the indissoluble unity of emotions and physiology in human development and throughout life in health and illness. So we are not out there on some weirdness cliff ready to jump over like lemmings. The, once the allopathic medical system creates a department for this very thing, it, you know, it's, it's part of the system. Okay, so in Mate's book, he offers a standard for emotional competence. I would say maturity, but so what? Um, but either way, this is really helpful for people to begin to get a sense of where the bar is for a healthy emotional life. And in particular, a healthy emotional life that would support a healthy physical life. And so um, in Mate's book, he talks about seven things. And the first is acceptance. And by acceptance, he means a willingness to recognize and accept how things are. And and we, we actually talk about this a lot on the show. It's usually in the context of... To change what is going on, I have to not only have a vision of what I would like it to be, but I need to see what is and then figure out how to close that gap. And so Mate is talking about exactly that kind of acceptance, to accept without judgment what is, to see it clearly. It's exactly what Maladoma was saying in, his, in the previous article we talked about last week. The next, number two, is awareness. And by awareness, what he's talking about is that all of us who are seeking to heal or to remain healthy need to reclaim the lost capacity for emotional truth recognition. So in other words, in our life experience as a child, when our intuitive sense of what's going on uh, isn't validated by the adults around us and the emotions that we're feeling get shut down, you know, where you're feeling a certain way and someone says, no, you don't. You're like, well, yes, I do. But as a kid, you don't know yet. You don't even know the names for all of your feelings. And so this is, this is about re- this awareness about restoring your personal capacity for truth and, of course, emotional truth. And, of course, we take that a step further and talk about cultivating your truth court. So you're looking at truth in all capacities. Number three on his list is anger which is the willingness to understand um, that, well, the thing about anger is that we need to have a willingness to understand that the suppression of anger is deeply damaging to the person suppressing it. And then at the same time, the unregulated acting out of anger is deeply damaging to people around the person who's acting out. And that both are actually abnormal expressions of emotion. And neither one of them is really actually about anger. If you tune in to explore what's really going on, it's usually about a lot of other things. And that actually healthy anger in its expression in the moment is a, a mix of a kind of empowerment as the energy moves through the body and a relaxation 
as we focus clearly on the yes or the no. You know, it's very, it's, it's actually um, very different than what people imagine. And we've talked about that. There's a show about anger in the archives if you want to explore that. So number four on Mate's list is autonomy. And that uh, a grown-up way of talking um, about it, it. So autonomy is a grown-up way of talking about healthy boundaries. So immune confusion, which is a lot of these autoimmune diseases where it appears that the immune system is eating its own body, right? So immune confusion that leads to disease reflects a failure to distinguish self from non-self in, the, in its physical manifestation. And healing has to involve establishing or reclaiming the boundaries of an autonomous self. And this requires learning to say yes and no appropriately, right? Okay, so number five is attachment. In, not in a sense of um, problematic attachment, but in the sense we were talking about before, that a human being is actually a true self, who is a true, na- true self with true nature that's connected to nature and the oneness. And so attachment is our actual connection to the world. One of the things they see is that loneliness and disconnection from people and the world is um, a big factor in people with chronic illness. And so maintaining that connection to something larger than we are is an important part of maintaining our health and well-being. And you don't have to believe in God to do that because some people say, well, I don't believe in God, so bullocks. Well, it's just believing in something bigger than you are. And I can't imagine not doing that because, frankly, believing I'm the only thing here is really boring. I don't understand how people can even tolerate just having it all rattle around in their own heads. It's like, ugh, it's unbelievably boring. Anyway, number six, assertion. Which is that ability, I would say, to take up space, but without apology. But what Mate says is that declaration to the world that we are, in the sense of I exist, and that we are who we are. And that is in the sense of these are my values, this is what I live for, and that I am innately valuable. It's very, very important aspect assertion and then finally the seventh piece in this template for healthy emotions is affirmation it's valuing and affirming your own creative and universal self in other words valuing yourself beyond your job and your capacity to make money or your role whatever role you've chosen in life but valuing yourself and all of the motivations within you and your, your greater universal self. In a sense, some of the riskiest but most life-changing decisions that I've, been, I've made are decisions I've made for my universal self, for my soul is how I would have thought of it. They were at the time guesses and it was a big hypothesis and if it hadn't worked out, I would have made a different change. I mean, would have changed direction. But some of the great leaps forward that I've made, I've made because there was this idea that if I'm here and this universal self matters and it's kind of what it's really all about, maybe I should make my choice for that, not just for a paycheck. And it's risky. But part of health is our willingness to have a relationship with someone other than the person who pays the bills. That there are other aspects of ourself. And so this is what I feel is most valuable about Mate's work and why I would recommend this book to anyone who is dealing with a diagnosis of chronic illness, physical, mental, potentially terminal, any of those, to, really, to read Mate's book because it challenges our perspective on where this illness comes from. And that changes, it, it, to change our perspective on where it's coming from changes our possibilities of what to do about it. And it changes your personal power to actually access some kind of change or transformation or healing. So we can gain a lot from understanding um, what Mate says, that the complex, unconscious, psychological stresses underlie and contribute to all chronic medical conditions. I'm quoting Mate now. From cancer to addiction to depression and multiple sclerosis, just the whole range, somehow, some way. And it's not like anger causes this or depression causes that. 
It's about your emotional template and how it keeps you from a healthy emotional response to your everyday life. And, and in doing that, it causes stress, chronic stress reaction in your body, which wears us out. So the next step with Mate's work gets a little bit tricky, and I will address it, but it's also why I've chosen not to look to speak to his book about the hungry ghosts, which is in that Mate says that therapy that is assisted with psychedelics, in particular ayahuasca, uh, in the right context and with the right support can bring these dynamics to the surface, the unexpressed emotional dynamics to the surface and thus help a person liberate themselves from from the influence of these suppressed things. The operative word in that sentence is can. It can help. So can soul retrieval. Uh, So can other things. The issue here is where the root of the addiction is actually something that needs to be illuminated and if ayahuasca can actually help to illuminate it, then sure, the ayahuasca could be helpful. So there's an example of um, a woman that has worked with Dr. Mate, and she was a youth worker and restaurateur, and she had battled various addictions since her youth, including addictions to cocaine, benzoates, marijuana, and alcohol. And she says, this is her, her words, that ayahuasca saved my life. It enabled me to look at all those dark things I buried long ago, to unleash them and the pain so that I could move forward. And so for her, it was a right fit. It was a good match, and it helped her with her addiction. So according to Dr. Monte, then, ayahuasca is not a drug in the Western sense, something that you would take to get rid of something. Properly used, it opens up parts of yourself that you usually do not access, and parts of the brain that hold emotional memories come together with those parts that modulate insights and awareness so that you see past experiences in a new way. And, and that is all true. The issue is we can't just leap from that and say ayahuasca cures addiction or imbogaine cures addiction. It doesn't necessarily. It, it only cures addiction when the, when the cause of the addiction in the person is this kind of hidden internal issues that the particular plant medicine can illuminate. So it's not that it which should be um, – it's, it, it's the same thing as me saying, well, soul retrieval will cure all addictions. Soul retrieval work can cure a lot of addictions for people, but not all addictions. In the same way, psychedelics can't – the right use of psychedelics can't cure all addictions because human beings are more complex than that. Exactly the point of what Mate is actually making in his earlier book is that we're emotional, psychological, spiritual, physical beings. And that allows for a lot of different – complexity that needs to get unwound. The beauty of shamanism as part of your healing process, be it mental illness or physical illness, is it helps you to unwind that because the very uh, method of journeying allows you to follow that path, which is not a straight cause and effect path of logic. So my point was then with um, Mate's work around ayahuasca is that it's just not always the case uh, with addiction. Sometimes the root is soul loss, sometimes it's soul theft, sometimes deeply unresolved ancestral issues. It's often actually deeply unresolved ancestral issues. So we can't say that plant medicines cure addiction. However, we can say that they help people and do offer a possible path forward for some people. So we need to understand what an altered state really is and that it is a chemically different state of being that allows the mind to work in a way um, that is other than the ordinary working. So in other words, you associate things differently. So what Mate is saying about how the plant hallucinogens work in your mind is true. Um, And different plants have very different personalities and they take us to very different alternate states of awareness. So it's certainly a field an option that should be available to people, but it shouldn't be presented as if it is the cure, right? Um, So the one thing that we can take from today and from Mate's book, um, which is When the Body Says No, 
um, is how we generate illness when, in fact, it is our body's greatest wisdom to go towards health given the chance. You know, so why is the body getting ill? Well, because we can't say no, so the body has to say it for us. So we can take the perspective that learning to express our emotions, the full range of emotions in healthy ways, is part of our foundation for health and well-being. And this is a far more important part um, than anyone I have ever met leads on. I mean, I've met a lot of people that agree with this, but I don't think people really get how important it is. Meaning, how important learning to express our emotions, the full range of our emotions in healthy ways, is part of the foundation for health and well-being. And I, I mean that making simple associations and explanations, you know, meaning, well, you know, I've got cancer and I see that it kind of is a metaphor for this. I mean, that's good. It's good to start looking at it that way. But that is still really superficial. That isn't really what Monte is talking about or what I'm talking about because it's not, it's, it's, a, it's an insight. And it's potentially a good and accurate and true insight, but it's not the act. The insight itself is not the act of learning to clear the energy that is necessary to free us from the patterns and to change our lives, change ourselves, change our lives by changing ourselves. Nor is it the devotion or the repetition necessary to lay down the new patterns of healthy expression and the healthy energy body that supports the healthy expression. And so to that end, as we're closing here today, I have a challenge. Um, A listener recently said, I listened to the earlier shows and you always had challenges. They were great. What happened to those? And I realized I had kind of wandered away from that. So one of the things that we get, or I was seeing, I think, from looking at those seven A words, association and um, affirmation and um, assertion and those things that um, Mate said – is they actually align with healthy development in our chakra system. And so I'm going to name seven phrases, and they somewhat coincide with Mate's work. But these are seven sort of healthy statements that your chakras should basically be broadcasting to the rest of your body. And what's true for most of us is we've got a lot of other information stored in our chakras based on all this childhood belief system formation, psycho-spiritual, emotional belief system formation. And so in essentially imagining yourself a little mini you standing in your root chakra and stating this affirmation this affirmation is i am safe to state that affirmation will begin and state it as fact it's beyond truth it's fact and to state it will then begin to provoke all of those other ideas you carry in your root chakra that state otherwise and so i'm going to list them and there's a lot of things you could do with that But what you could notice is which chakra is the statement most problematic. When does it either you can't even hardly say it as if it's true or um, it brings up a whole lot of noise and internal chatter. Okay. And so then based on that, based on letting things get stirred up, if you know clearing practices, you could follow anything that arises and clear it. If you don't, you could also take what arises into journeys and ask your helping spirits to show you the source of that dissonance. And be, Now, you may end up with um, uh, an array of things you can't handle yourself, like needing soul retrieval, needing ancestral healing, but you can go to a shaman for that. You can come to me long distance for that. I mean, you can get help for that. But the most important thing is to begin to take steps to become a healthy um, an adult with a healthy emotional res- expressions and responses to your life. Okay, so here we go. Number one, root chakra, I am safe. And so number two, tying up with this whole issue of learning to say no, number two, the second chakra is all about life force. So in your second chakra, it's, it's got two parts. One is saying yes to life and then the ability to say no to certain aspects of life. Yes and no. And to say them with equal ease. Okay? Number three, solar plexus, third chakra. The big yellow room. Okay. This, the statement is, I matter. 
This is the place of will and power, but fundamental to your use, your right use of your will and power is simple belief that you matter, that you are of innate value. I matter. It's also about autonomy. Okay. Heart chakra, number four. I am connected, giving and receiving through love. Number five, throat chakra. I am innately valuable. I express my values through my words and actions. Number six, head. I recognize and accept truth around me and within me. And finally, I am a creative universal being and that's your seventh chakra statement so invite you to work with these statements in your chakras in your own path towards beginning to forge your emotional well-being not just by choosing new ways to be healthy but by ferreting out and undermining the old patterns that keep you from a healthy response in the first place So I give great gratitude to the ancestors that gather around us, the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. I want to thank you all for listening to the show here today and invite you to continue with me to become the people that have healthy emotional responses to life so that we can write a truly new story for the new world. Thank you, everyone.